Welcome back, baseball family. We're really excited to bring you this interview with Tim Mown. He is an author, uh, New York Times bestselling author. And before we get too much into the reason he's here with us today, we're going to give him a rundown just like we give everybody else. Tim, are you ready? I am ready. My voice okay. is ready. Ish. <laughs> First question. <laughs> come what? And go on us. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. First question is, what is your quest? My quest, kindness. Um, can I have a second one? Yeah. Today. Where am I? Here we go. There we go. There it is. Today I'm there somewhere. <laughs> it's about living in the moment. Agreed. Solid. Both solid quests. I like that. Okay, I've got a harder hitting question. What is your favorite color? Blue. Blue. Everybody makes fun of me for wearing blue all the time. I love blue, that. and I don't. I I can't shake <laughs> yeah, it. It's boring, but that's what I got. Again, so, who's your favorite major league baseball? My wife's eyes are blue, so I'm going to go. There you go. How about that? There you go. Who's your favorite major league baseball team? I grew up in New York, a Mets fan. Okay. Um, you know, I covered the game for 30 years, so you sort of stop being a fan. Yeah. And I think along the way, I've sort of adopted like the Rays. You know, that whole vibe um down there but but i would i would say mets follow-up question if the mets were a beverage what would they be coors light <laughs> that was fast yeah, that was yeah. Really <laughs> <laughs> all right if baseball was an ice cream flavor what would it be baseball was an ice cream flavor um how about mint chocolate chip oh I think we've gotten that one a few times. That we one's have gotten popular. That. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the last question for you, Tim. What is one unpopular baseball opinion that you have? Um, boy, that's a good one. Um, I hate – well, it's probably not an unpopular – I hate the um, <clears throat> protecting the catcher rule on the throw. Blocking the plate, the whole blocking the plate thing. Maybe it's unpopular in the commissioner's office. So uh, that'll count as an unpopular opinion. But I've always thought I get the one at second base because the guy has to be standing on the base. I don't understand the plate because the guy does not have to be standing on the plate or in front of the plate. It's it's his choice. So anything that comes into sort of strategic, hate the three batter minimum, hate hate that sort of stuff. Yeah, I get that. That catcher one's tough because so often the throw will put the catcher in front of the plate. It's like, what do you do? You can't let the ball go, right? Right. It, it's yeah. become sort of like the balk rule, right, where they call it and nobody really knows why or why not. Yeah, yeah there was those those two a couple weeks ago where it was just an absolute mystery to everybody as to why it was right. called. Right. It's almost like challenge every play at the plate because it could – it's as likely to be overturned in your favor as it is to, to stand coin up. Flip. So, coin flip. Heck, I might as well give it a shot. I got, I, you know, I, I got challenges left. I'm going to go. I'm going to run with it. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. Exactly. Okay. Thanks for playing our little game with us. We really appreciate that, Tim. So for those of you listening, Tim, Tim Brown is the author of the new book, The Dow of the Backup Catcher, Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. Um, I haven't had too much of a chance to get too deep into it, but holy cow. I love this oh, book, and beautiful. I am not being hyperbolic. This is outstanding. Very well written, Tim. 
what I've written, I absolutely, or what I've read, I absolutely love. I, I cannot gush enough over it. But my first question mm -hmm. for you about this was what was it that, why was the word choice Dow of the backup catcher? Where does um, that come from? You know, because I feel like with backup catchers, their value is in the eye of the beholder, that it is a somewhat spiritual, uh, awareness of, of who you are when you're in that role that you have to be grounded that you have to be in the moment where your feet are um I don't know I just felt it was the first thing that fell out of my mouth because uh when we were sort of kicking around titles for the book um in part because of that and I and I think the way that guys embrace that job the ones who do and do it well it becomes almost uh, a religious sort of experience for them. You know, you have to get your fulfillment from a role that maybe only you appreciate. Uh, and, and you're doing things that hardly anybody notices, which I think to me, you know, it, it's not necessarily a religious thing, but it's a very spiritual thing to be that comfortable with what the, the values that you believe in and what you're willing to sell out to. Yeah, it didn't take so, long getting into it. Sorry, sorry, Brick, just one thing real quick. Yeah. I was going to say it, it, it didn't take long getting into it to notice the parallels of a lot of people talk about the backup quarterback and his job in the NFL, that it's like mm -hmm. the backup catcher is like the backup quarterback and about 15 other things in the clubhouse and dugout, right? right. He's got such a significant role. And yeah, it does take a certain level of acceptance. Like I'm not the main guy. I'm not the quarterback out there. I'm doing all these other things except for that. And it, it was really cool to get some insight into that. Sorry. Go I appreciate ahead, it. You know, I would say the only difference is the backup quarterback never plays. I mean, if, if with any luck at all, the backup quarterback never plays mm -hmm. and uh, the backup catcher is you have to play him occasionally. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's part of the deal. Right. Yeah. So ahead, I spend I spend a lot of time with Taoism, actually. So when I saw this title come through, I thought, oh, man, this is exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you pronounce, way... it, you pronounce it like you spend a lot of time with it. So it's I very do. professional yeah, I pronunciation do. of Tao. <laughs> I like yeah, it. I like it. Thank you. Uh, I have a friend of mine and I, we read the Tao Te Ching uh, almost every morning at 8, eight in the morning. So um, it, it's... It sounds like, you know, with Taoism, everything is about acceptance and it's all about, you know, finding, like you said, the value with what actually is there and what actually provides value instead of engineering it and trying to have this idealized version of what what value might be to other people. And that comes through in the introduction so well. I, I would recommend everybody just go if you, you know, go by the book, but just read the first what is it, 13 or eight, or I think it's the first eight pages is the introduction. And I wanted to ask you, was it as emotional writing it as it was for us reading it? Um, yeah, and, and I'll tell you why. Um, so I, geez, I covered, started covering baseball, Major League Baseball in 89. And, you know, I, I was an idiot. 
and and you know sort of carried that on with me for a long time but i i asked a lot of questions and when you're when you're a curious person and you're not sure what you're looking at and not sure why things went the way they went you you ask a lot of questions and backup catchers everywhere i went in every clubhouse i ever went into were welcoming and they were patient and they were humble and they had a sense of humor and they picked their heads up from what was right in front of them to see the world. And so the conversations that came from that for decades were always my favorite conversations. They became my favorite people as a result. And I think I was carrying this book with me from the start. And about five years ago, Eric Kratz and I sort of came together on a podcast, as it, as it were, uh, sitting in, uh, in the dugout at Dodger Stadium. He was playing for the Brewers. I was working for Yahoo at the time. And we just hit it off. And it occurred to me as I was walking away was that his story, 19 professional seasons, 14 franchises, 120 transactions. This is a guy who could carry a book about all of the backup catchers, about the culture of backup catchers. And, and, and so, uh, yeah, when I sat down to write it, 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 it did, I did sort of spin back to, uh, you know, the young knucklehead me and, you know, and, and sort of my early experiences with the game, because I thought about those guys and I really tried to get a hold of the first guy I ever talked to. I never did. Uh, but, uh, there were some, some guys back there that, that I could reach out to and, and talk to again. And, and really, I mean, there was part of me that wanted to thank them for educating me, you know, how to, how to sort of see the game and how to conduct myself around the game. So was Eric Kratz, was he kind of like the super duh guy to be involved with this or was he, or were there other guys who you kind of got involved with along the way and he ended up being the most involved? Uh, no, he was the guy that, that uh, I, I, knew that was going to sort of carry the book because of his story, because of his, his background, small town, just outside of Philadelphia, small high school, um, made his high school varsity because the, the guy ahead of him got caught smoking on campus and got kicked out off the team, went to a division three school. And this is, this is for me, it's amazing. And I, and <laughs> he went four years to Eastern Mennonite university and no one else in those four years caught a pitch from a pitcher. He caught oh, every God. single pitch across four years um, in college. 866th round draft pick. It just, it just all made sense. Met his wife in college, married her. They had three kids early. And this journey, her strength, her character. Um, you know, I'm not sure this book really comes to me without Eric Kratz. And I don't, I'm not sure there's an Eric Kratz if there's no Sarah Kratz. She's so, I mean, she, there is, she is really sort of the ultimate backup catcher that, you know, someone who's never going to be in the box score, but has so much to do with that career. Uh, and, and then ultimately, you know, less important, this project. <laughs> well, maybe I, that's the next book. <laughs> yeah, right, <laughs> the wife right. of the backup catcher. And now Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I was going to say, I loved the, the, so obviously it's a human story, right? It's packed with the human element. That's the whole point. But 
the fact that you loop in so much of the family experience, I think, like you said, grounds the narrative and ties it all together uh, and allows it to be accessible to more than just the diehard baseball fan. Yeah, I love those relationships. And and I've I've always been drawn to those more human stories. Uh, you know, particularly, I think it maybe started to stand out as the analytics and and all started taking over the game a little bit. And suddenly there was a different way to write about baseball. And the guys who can do it, do it well and do it interesting are amazingly talented. I do not have that gift. And I, I honestly don't ha really have the interest <laughs> in, in that part of the game. It's not my job to, uh, you know, con construct a roster. Uh, for me, it was always go find the good story, go, you know, tell me a story. Uh, and, and then after that, it became, you know, we sort of know the stars, right? And our editors, they always write the stars, write the stars. But those weren't always where the best stories were. And, and I was, again, drawn to this uh, population of players who were closer to the far side of the roster, the far side of, you know, an opening day when they all line up, you know, the guys further to the left, you know, always sort of interested me because they were, to me, it's a much more uh, uh, relatable experience, right? I mean, what do I know about being Shohei Otani or Mike Trout or Aaron Judge? I can't even relate. I have no idea what that must feel like. There's nothing in my life I do that well. And I get the other guys, the guys who are struggling and scrambling, holding on with both hands and, and wondering if they're any good and, and all that stuff. That I get. And so I, I hope those sort of stories and this book sort of speaks to folks more like me. I like that because so often like we talk about growing up like you memorize the back of a baseball card and that's like translated into how baseball works now. You lose <laughs> so much of the story because there's not room on the back of a baseball card to tell the interesting parts of a guy's story. And I think right. I like that, that you're diving into the human side of it and, and going beyond the numbers and seeing the important stuff because that's, that's the stuff that's awesome. That's the stuff that we really like. Yeah, I, I think as you move along through the book, you'll notice like really the only stat I'm really holding on to is batting average, which I know is an outdated stat. But I do think that the, the sorts of people that I hope will read this book are not going to be into all the stuff, you know, on the next page of fan graphs and the page after that on fan graphs. I feel like it's, it's the most understandable thing. And there is actually a chapter in there called something along the lines of, you know, batting average doesn't matter says all the people who don't hit for a living. Um, yeah. You know, you got to like that. Right. Big and it's on that big scoreboard and it's like 24 feet high. What you're hitting it feels like it matters, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. We're big fans of average. I think batting average is the most – I mean, I go, I always come back to accessibility because our whole thing is baseball together. And so let's let's make it as simple as possible for everybody. And average is one of those statistics that pretty much anybody can understand. Right. I mean, I get that it doesn't define the player, of course, um, but it, it also well, – you used a good word there. It, it – it brings everybody sort of into the conversation. We don't lose anybody throwing around uh, RCA plus and stuff like that. Exactly. Everything like that. So is there one, without giving away any spoilers, is there one story from this book that really stood out to you as like 
something that was just like above and beyond or you really want people to hear from from the book itself i would say um fewer i mean there there are a ton of them but i I think if if you're asking what i want people to take away from this book um i'm i'm hoping that uh without having pounded people over the head with it throughout the course of the book there are these values among i think the best and most level-headed backup catchers that translate into the real world um that like wouldn't it be great if we focused a little bit more on making the guy next to us a little bit better if we focused a little less on ourselves um and uh made him feel good about himself and and if you are um perhaps someone who's feeling like you're not in the box score necessarily or you didn't get your uniform dirty today if you're a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad or a nurse or a teacher or someone like that, um, that there is great value along that journey in who you are along that journey. And, you know, we don't, and none of these guys got there immediately. Uh, And there's an interesting conversation to be had about whether these guys are born or bred. You you know, do you take the man and turn him into a backup catcher or do you take a backup catcher skill-wise and turn him into that man. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I just feel like I hope in today, everybody's screaming at each other. Everybody hates each other. Everybody's running each other down that there is room for this conversation about uh, so conducting ourselves more like the backup catcher, I guess is the best way to put it. Yeah, that's nice. I like that a lot. That's great. Um, what was the most difficult part of this story? Um, that's a great question. Um, none of it felt particularly difficult. Um, I did feel anxiety about, so like every person you talk to, whether it was um, one of the uh, managers who had been a backup catcher, you know, there's 14 of the 30 managers were backup catchers in yeah. right now. Um or one of the backup catchers themselves, or someone who sort of spun off of one of the backup catchers. Uh, every single guy said, "Oh, you have to talk to these four guys." Hmm. So by the end of like the, my round of interview, I interviewed like two or three dozen guys. I had another like eighty names of you know this guy would be perfect. You need to talk to him. And at some point, uh, I had to stop and just start writing the bit, writing the dang book. Because I would just continue, I could have continued on forever. Uh, but it did do my heart good to know that there are so many of these guys out there that that were well regarded. And and I know at the end of every interview with these guys, I would ask if they were proud of their career, because a lot of them, you know, kicked around a little bit. You know, saw a lot of clubhouses, usually carrying a duffel bag from two or three transactions ago or whatever, uh, and hit. 198 or 204 or whatever and you know they all had some something along the lines of i wasn't always um Mm. and but i've come to a place where uh i am proud of it and the thing that they're most proud of they said was being a good teammate um which you know i mean 
I don't know if you would trade that for a $240 million contract. I probably would. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But it's, you know, if, if this is who you were, um, I I would hope you're proud of it and and not not to lose uh, track of the fact that you, you freaking played in the big leagues, dude. You know, I mean, that's exactly, that's not nothing. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's one of the things that I think we lose sight of sometimes is that like, especially with backup catchers, sometimes they get kind of poo-pooed because it's like, man, he's not as good as a starter. We don't want him in there twice a week, you know, because it like sometimes as a Mariners fan, it's like, man, sometimes it feels like it's a guaranteed loss, you know, <laughs> but at the same time though, like there are some really great things that come from backup catchers. One of the stats that out that stood out to me early on in the, in this book was how many catchers, backup catchers have caught no hitters. Right. And I don't think yeah, yeah. that's not an accident. And I think he pointed out to that. Right, and I think it's real obvious why. It's that these guys are so committed to that start on that day. They're almost Mm -hmm. overprepared, and there's such trust in the pitcher that that guy's back there for me today. He's not back there to get three hits. He's not back there to, like, pad his home run lead or anything like that. He's back there to win a baseball game. Uh, And I think that there goes a long way, especially in that seventh, eighth, and ninth inning, right, where you have a guy who's been sort of – walking with you along these four days between starts. Okay, bud, here we go. You ready? Yep, that slider looked great when you threw it in the bullpen two days ago. Let's let's work that early and all that stuff that leads to something close to, you know, I mean, as close as baseball gets to perfection. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're at our time. Real quick, the book came out yesterday, right? July 11th? It did. It did. Cool. Excellent. It's called The Dow of the Backup Catcher Playing Baseball for the Love of the Game. And you can get that, I'm assuming, everywhere. Is that right? Yeah. I, I hope. I, hope. Yeah. <laughs> no. I checked. You can get it anywhere. <laughs> I, have, I haven't been everywhere, but I think it's out there. Yeah. It's definitely. But we'll put a link down in the description so that our listeners can go check it out. We highly check it out and listen to it. It's a fantastic read. Very excited. Uh, thank you, Tim, for joining us. We really appreciate it. And I appreciate you guys. This was really fun. I'm glad. Catch new episodes of the Baseball Together podcast every Tuesday.